Hey, what's up? It's your boy Anthony Cass Clark, and welcome to another edition of Thoughts Over Coffee Daily. Good people of the world, what is up? I hope that all is well, all is well on this side. Today, very special episode lined up for you. Today's episode features Kobe Bryant, aka the Black Mamba. This episode breaks down Kobe's mentality bit by bit. Very detailed interview. Kobe gives great answers on his mindset, gives you a lot of insight into how he thinks and how he analyzes situations and his strategy and how that how that can apply to your own life. Uh, Kobe is one of the most strategic people on the planet, whether it's basketball or in life. He makes moves and uh, it's only right that we learn from the Black Mamba himself. So I'm very honored to uh, share this podcast with you. Uh, this podcast comes courtesy of Lewis House of the School of Greatness podcast. And um, yeah, man, Kobe drops a lot of gems in this one. There is one right in the beginning of the podcast where he is just talking about the difference between him and other players, how other players have natural born talent. He does not. He has fundamental abilities. <laughs> All he did was practice the fundamentals significantly more than the other the other players practice with their talent and he got better than them eventually and i felt like that was a gem right early in the podcast but there's a million more gems on this podcast so i want you guys to listen to it uh take a sip enjoy and before we hit play on this clip please share this podcast with somebody share it with someone you know I thank you guys for sharing the 100th episode. Uh, that was really big. Lots of text messages, phone calls, uh, shout outs. Great, man. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. And uh, without further ado, I guess we'll get into it. Here it is. Kobe Bryant, the Black Mama. Welcome, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. We have the incredible, legendary Kobe Bryant. My man, it's good to meet you. Pleasure, man. Um, congrats on everything. You're an icon, a legend, and the thing I love the most about you is that you really care about other human beings. Yeah. Your heart is so big. Even though you've been known for this focused mentality that is just almost psycho in some ways, <laughs> but you care deeply about human beings, and I think that's why so many people love you as well. So I want to acknowledge you for your kindness and your Thank generosity you. towards humanity. Um, my first question for you is I'm curious about who was your greatest teacher growing up? Because you had an, uh, an interesting childhood being in Italy yeah. for a while, coming back to Philadelphia, I think it was. Yeah. Who was the greatest teacher for you in those early days? It was funny, man, I had a lot of them. You know, my parents were, were great. You know, growing up, you know, they instilled in me the importance of imagination, of curiosity, and understanding that, okay, if you want to accomplish something, I'm not just going to sit here and say, yes, you can do whatever you want. Mm. Yes, you can. But you have to also put in the work to get there, right? So they taught me that at a really early age, man. And uh, when you grow up as a kid thinking that the world is your oyster, and all things are possible if you put in the work to do it, you, know, you grow up having that fundamental belief. Yeah. Who was more influential for you, your father or mother? It, both were influential at different points. Yeah. Right. My, uh, my mom was there on a daily basis. Uh, my father 
uh, was really influential at a really critical time where I, you know, I had a summer where I played basketball when I was like 10 or 11 years old in a very prominent summer league in Philadelphia called the Sunny Hill League where my father played, my uncle played, and they were like all-time greats yeah. and sort of stuff. And Will Chamberlain played in the league, you know, uh, Earl of Pro Monroe played in the league. And here I come playing, and I don't score one point the entire summer. Really? Not one. How old were you? 11, 10, 11. And you're playing against other 10, 11-year-olds? Uh -huh. And you didn't score once? Not one. Were you in the game? I was in the game. How did you not score? Because I was terrible. Really? <laughs> yeah. That At 10, 11 years old, you were that terrible. Awful. I mean, I, you know, and I had these big knee pads on because I was no. growing really fast. And I had socks all the way up here. And I had, like, the high top skinny, fade, yeah. like, skinny as hell. And I scored not a free throw, not a nothing, not a lucky shot, not a breakaway layup, zero points. And I remember crying about it and being upset about it. And my father just gave me a hug and said, listen, whether you score zero or score 60, I'm going to love you no matter what. Wow. Now that is the most important thing that you can say to a child. Because from wow. there, I was like, okay, that gives me all the confidence in the world to fail. I have the security there. But to hell with that, I'm scoring 60. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> right, right. Right. And from there, I just went to work. And I just wow. I stayed with it. And I kept practicing, kept practicing, kept practicing. Is that when you think the mentality of hard work started to come in for you at that age when you yeah. failed so miserably, I guess, that summer? I think that's when the idea of understanding a long-term view became important because I wasn't going to catch these kids in a week. I wasn't going to catch them in a year, right? So that's when I sat down and said, okay, this is going to take some thought, right? Mm -hmm. What do I want to work on first? All right, shooting. All right, let's knock this out. Let's focus on this half a year, six months, do nothing but shoot. Right after that, all right, creating your own shot, and then you focus. So you start. I started creating a menu of things. Mm. When I came back the next summer, I was a little bit better. Right, and a menu being like I've got my jump shot from 15. I've got my yeah. I got my jump away, shot from I've 15. Got I got my three-point shot. Like just open shots, not miss open shots. Right, right. And be able to shoot it with speed because those kids are so much more athletic. Yeah. And then the next summer I came back, I was a little better. And the summer came back. You the next summer I was a little better. I scored. Yeah, you know, it wasn't much, right. but I scored. And this you know? is 12, 13. 12, 13. And then 14 came around, back half of 13, 14 uh, years old. And then I was just killing everyone. And it happened in two years. And I wasn't expecting it to happen in two years, but it did. Because what I had to do was work on the basics and the fundamentals. Well, they relied on their athleticism mm. and their natural ability. And because I stick to the fundamentals, it just caught up to them. And then my body, you know, my knees stopped hurting. I grew into my frame. And, and then your athleticism, once you have the fundamentals, exactly. the hard work, the mindset, and you tack on the athleticism, exactly. it's then, game then, over. Then it was game over. <laughs> wow. So from 13, you're good, average still? I was, I was good. I was good. good. And then about, about the, like the end of my, third, like right when I was turning 14, I became the best player in the state. At 14. At 14. So from 12 to 14, you went from scoring zero to being the best in the yep. state of all ages. Yep. But it's, it's simple. Like, if you do the math on this, right, like, if, you, if you're thinking about how often kids are playing, mm -hmm. right, and I tell this to my, to my daughter and my daughter's team as well that I coach, so it's a simple thing of math. If you want to be a great player, if you play every single day, two, three hours, every single day, over the course of a year, how much better are you getting? Most kids will play maybe, you know, an hour and a half two days a week. Right. For Do the math on that. It's not, it's, not going, yeah. it's not going to get it done. It's <laughs> not going to get it done. Right? So if you're obsessive, obsessive, obsessively training two, three hours every single day over a year, over two years, 
They're decelerating. You make quantum yeah. leaps, man. Just doing a summer camp for two weeks, you you see a difference. I remember playing basketball yeah, growing you, up. You see like, it. You get a lot better. You yes. come back more confident playing on the playground with guys who used yeah. to beat you. Yeah. And I and like I, I tell the parents on my team, I said it's it's when I say your kids are going to become great basketball players, and like really, I'm like yeah, it's not. There's no it's math. It's it. Show up every single day. Show up every single day. Do the work. But you have this Mamba mentality. Your book's coming out soon. And how did you develop this? There's a, there's a beautiful story that I love from Jay Williams. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember Jay yeah. Williams. Where he did an interview a while back and he talked about how when he played you, I think the first time, or one of the first times he played against you, he was, he was like, I'm going to show up so early to the court to warm up and practice like before anyone. Yeah. And he shows up at the court. I don't know if it was in LA or where it was. And you were the only one there. Yeah. Already shooting free throws, already doing your fundamentals. And he goes, I'm gonna stay here until Kobe leaves. And then he was like, gosh, an hour and a half, two hours later. I gotta go. I'm tired. <laughs> and Kobe's still shooting free throws, scoring, like just going over the th fundamentals. And right. he goes, and then we played that game and you were lights out. And he came up to you afterwards and said like, dude, why were you in there for so long? And how'd you do it? And he said, this is what he said, you said. He said, I knew you were watching and right. I wanted to show you that I was willing to outwork you. Right. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember this. I remember it. You remember, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was so powerful that you have this mindset, but how did you develop that? I don't, I don't know if that's what you call the Mamba mindset, but how did you develop that? And well, when did it start? Uh, it started in, in middle school and high school because a lot of the kids that I was playing against were inner city kids. Yeah. And so you're looking at me as if, okay, this kid's soft, right? He's from the suburbs of Philadelphia. His father played in the NBA, played professionally. He's got it easy. Got it easy, born on second, you know, all this other stuff, right? And so it felt like they could try to be physical or try to intimidate me and do all this other stuff, which they couldn't, right? But now I'm saying, okay, well, you're trying to attack me. How am I going to attack you? How can I mentally figure out ways to break, break you down? How can I show you that, no, I have the edge, right? And so that's when it first started for me is figuring out how to get the upper hand on an opponent that way. And what would you do to mentally break people down then? Well, I mean, you know, like uh, we used to have an All-American camp that I used to go to. And, you know, at the time I first showed I was a sophomore. And um, one of the things I would do is everybody would be at the cafeteria work, you know, eating and doing all sort of stuff. I'd just go back to the gym. I'd just go back to the gym. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, they'd know, be resting, they'd eating. Be re and they'd see me leave, right? But now you're in a tough position because you're like, okay, I want to be like I'm following the kid to go work right. out but I know he's working he's up early and he's doing all this wow. other stuff and so that was my way of, sh of showing them yeah, yeah I may be from the suburbs but you're not going to outwork me wow and I'm mentally going to did someone tougher. teach you that was that just a thing that you decided like I'm going to get in people's minds um I think it's just it's just figuring out ways to 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 be better and and to win the game and it started as a defense mechanism because you know, they were the ones talking trash to me and, you know, kid from Italy, blah, 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 and all sort of stuff. And it was like, okay, I gotta, I can't let them, <laughs> you know, I gotta defend myself yeah. here, right? And then it became, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty witty. I can say some pretty witty yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> and an Italian. And, and an Italian. Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, you know, I never, I never was physically gifted to uh, an extreme level. I was always really good, but I was never like the fastest or biggest or strongest. But I remember my edge was, I'm not going to go party and I'm not gonna drink alcohol. Right. So I've never been drunk still, because I right. was like, I need every edge when guys were out partying late at night who mm -hmm. were better than me and drinking and showing up hungover. I was like, I'm gonna be more focused and right. have clearer vision. 
And, um, but I wasn't waking up at 4 a.m. like you, so. Well, <laughs> that's, that's interesting because like when, I, when I played, um, one of the things that I had to learn is how to get the best out of my teammates. Yeah. And most people think it's a simple thing, you know, pass them the ball. You know, but that's not how you make guys better. You have to really affect their behavior. How do you do that? So, you know, like you know, I would tell guys, you know, you got back to backs. You know, I don't care if we're in Miami. I don't care if we're in a great city of Chicago. You can't go out. We got to get rest. Right? Back to back games. Back to back games, yeah. right? Monday, Tuesday. You play Monday and play again Tuesday. The guys aren't going to listen, right? You don't, you know. Right. So a few times say, all right, well, I'll go out. We'll go out <laughs> together. Really? I'm, I'll drink with you, right? But the next morning, I'm banging on your door at five in the morning. Let's go. They're not getting Where are we out. going? <laughs> I hung out with you. Now you come hang out with me. Wow. This is what we do. All right, let's go. And we're at the gym. We're working out, right? We hit the bus. We go to practice. We play that night. And they're dead. And they're dead. And they're like, lesson learned. Really? <laughs> lesson learned. So take them out once. Listen, if you're going to do that, do that. But don't let that compromise what we're here to do. Right. This is why we're here. This is why you're here in the first place. Yeah. Right? And if we're going to win a championship, we have to have that championship mentality That's and it. work ethic. That's it. So you got to show them, no, Kobe can do that and still has the energy to get up and do this. So either I got to meet that same energy or I got to keep my butt in my Go room. to bed early, yeah. <laughs> wow. What are some other things you did to uh, rise the level of the, uh, your teammates? What are some other ways that you can? Uh, and what well, do you think people well, can do in general with a business team or any sports team? I think you have, to, you have to listen and you have to uh, pay attention to, to what your colleagues or teammates are saying and what are certain things that drive them certain things that motivate them, that trigger them. Uh, and uh, uh, one of my favorite ones, Pal hates it every time I tell the story. He hates it, he hates it. But we, we lost to the Celtics in 08. And it was a physical series. I mean, they beat the crap out of us. Yeah. And so we go into the <laughs> Olympic year that year. Yeah. We wound up playing Spain for the gold medal match. And we beat them. Uh-huh. And so now we come back to start training camp. And Pal shows up the first day of, of training camp. I have my gold medal hanging in his locker. Oh, no. <laughs> and he, I mean, like the one thing that he truly, truly loves is his country. Of course. Like, that is like everything to him. So it just drove him crazy. Oh I said, pal, listen. He said, you're an asshole. I said, listen, pal, you lost to the Celtics. You lost to us in a gold medal match. Let's not make this three in a row this year. Wow. Okay? That is <laughs> Let's brilliant. win this thing. <laughs> and that was, that was it for him. And he probably stepped up at a whole other level. Well, he, he, you know, pal was a phenomenon to begin with and then yeah. for him was just stepping up to a level of physicality yeah that we needed him to get to which he did and we went on to win back-to-back championships my man yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> how important is understanding human psychology and human behavior to work with a team as opposed yeah. to just relying on your gifts and talents it's uh it's probably the most important thing you know when you're in, a, in this culture in our society you can do some phenomenal things individually um, but they'll never reach their full potential unless you do them collectively and you have to figure out how to do that and you know Phil Jackson was great at that mm -hmm. and Phil uh, you know, he wouldn't just coach the team or coach the game but he'd read everything about every single player really? he'd learn about your history how you grew up um, how you were raised where were you, where were you raised you know he'll read every interview mm. and he'll learn about you and gives him a better understanding of what's motivating you uh, or what your insecurities are, right? And then it just helps them communicate with you better or even push a button here if he needs to. When did you learn that it was important to understand 
who your teammates are, what their likes or dislikes are. Was that in high school for you or more? No, it was, uh, I learned it from Phil. There, there was a stretch um, in 03 uh, where Shaq was out with an injury. And Phil called me up to his office and said, okay, we need you to really turn on the afterburners and start scoring wow. the ball if we have to win. So I did, and I wound up scoring, I think it was nine straight games for 40-plus points. Nine straight? Nine straight games. And then Shaq comes back, sec uh, second to last game of that. And then Phil calls me up to his office and says, Cole, okay, I need you to dial it back. I'm like, why? why? Like, we're winning. <laughs> I don't understand. It's because our goal is to win a championship. Mm. And we can get through the Western Conference with you playing this way. But in the East, you know, we, we can dominate them inside with Shaq in the post. But if you continue to do this, we'll lose Shaq. We'll lose him. His motivation, his excitement. What triggers him, right? He, so I need you to pull back so we can pull Shaq forward for June. Wow. And I'm, I just looked at him like, this is one smart dude. Wow, that's <laughs> yeah, really smart. Yeah, that's one smart dude, man. So I pulled pulled it back. Wow. Yeah. What do you think has been uh, the greatest challenge you've had since leaving the game? The greatest challenge? Um, I think it's, I, you know, <laughs> I mean, you won an Oscar, you're, you're launching podcasts and well, shows and you got a book coming out. Yeah, but it's, it, it's, uh, it's different though. Like, you know, um, we were just talking about it here in the office the other day. Um, you know, when you play the game, mm -hmm. you hit a game-winning shot, you miss a shot, the reaction's there. You can see how people are responding to it, right? You can feel it. The energy and is the like... The energy is there. What I do now, you don't. Like, I, I don't see how people are affected by deer basketball or, you know, creating the punies and you put it out there. Like, I wish I could see a car ride of a family the first time mm -hmm. their daughter hears Lily's Lemonade and what she's doing, you know, she's singing along to it. That's not there. Right, so that's the, the challenge. That's the, the one mm. thing that I miss is being it's able to feedback. feed off of the energy. Yeah. The instant feedback yeah. that you get from shoot, missing or scoring a shot, yeah, winning man. or losing a game. It's like either way you're getting a, a result, right? Yes, yes, yes. That's the one thing. And, and when, I, when I went to, because uh, I spent a lot of time with mentors as well, uh -huh. up at Pixar and Disney Studios. Wow. They've been absolutely wonderful animation, Disney animation. And I talked to them about Frozen and Moana and how our kids love them. And they're always like, oh, that's awesome. And they, they want to hear it because they don't ever get a chance to truly see it. Like, they're, they're not, not sitting they in the movie theater. Like, no, no. And they don't have time to go to Disneyland and walk around the park and see how many families are enjoying the content that they've created because they're busy making the next Creating. One. Yes. Yes. So that, that's the one thing. What do you think the biggest challenge is for most athletes after they retire? I think it's the fear of, of starting anew. And that was certainly uh, present for me as well. Really? Yeah. Like because an identity, you, you mean? Or? Well, it's, it's starting from scratch, right? Because when you, when you play for 20 years, I played for 20 years, you reach a certain level. You're like, okay, wait a minute. I have to start again at the base of a mountain and try to climb to the top of this mountain. First of all, what mountain am I climbing? I don't even know like, what the hell am I going to be doing. And yeah. it'd be, it's, very, it's very scary. Mm. It's very scary. Even for you? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And the thing that helped me actually was hurting my Achilles because that forced me to sit there and say, okay, the day could be today that your career is over. At any time when you were playing, you mean, yeah. Now what do you do? You have these ideas about doing something with your life after basketball, but what if today is the day that you, that's it. Now what do you do? So I had all this time sitting there with my Achilles injury and 
contemplating and thinking, and I said, I better get to work. <laughs> wow. And that was that. What was the vision for you afterwards then? Was it to do what you're doing now, or did you have other ideas, or what is the, what's the vision for I COVID? struggled with it at first, because the first question I asked, which is the wrong question, is what's the biggest industry I can get into? Was it more money thinking? Yes, or? money thinking, saying, okay, athletes are saying you, you can't make more revenue when you retire, this is your source of your income is here. I said, okay, that's a challenge, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And I remember going for- Didn't you launch a fund or something? I did, what, yeah. I did. And so I, I started, I went for a ride and I said, okay, stop thinking of it that way. You're thinking of it the wrong way. Why did you start playing basketball? Because I loved it. All right, what do you love to do? Oh, well, I love to tell stories. Mm. All right, let's do that. And then that's where it started for me. And, um, and then on top of that, it became things like, you know, you start learning more about the financial industry and about players going broke once they retire yeah. and saying, okay, how can, I, um, how can I minimize the chances of that happening? What are things that I can do um, uh, to invest my money smartly? Also help control some of that outcome to a certain extent. Right. And that's when I uh, called Mike Rapoli. Mike Rapoli was an entrepreneur who built Vitamin Water, Pirates Boot, and some other yeah. companies and started learning from him. And then from that came the opportunity to invest in body armor. Yeah. And uh, which, yeah, which it's we're good. drinking now. It's delicious. <laughs> um, but all that came from the injury and really, really? having to self-assess and, uh, you know, face that, that really dark room of what comes next. Storytelling is something you're really passionate about. What's a story uh, over your life that's been a, a constant theme that you go back to? Is there something you heard as a kid that, you, that really resonates with you or a book or a movie that just feels like this is me? Yeah, that's funny. Um, movies, there are plenty. But th there's a quote from uh, one of my English teachers at Lower Marion named uh, uh, Mr. Fisk. He had a great quote that said, rest at the end, not in the middle. And that's something I always live by. You know, I'm not going to rest. I'm going to keep on pushing now. There are a lot of answers that I don't have, even questions that I don't have. But I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. And I'll figure these things out as we go, right? And you just continue to build that way. So that, I try to live by that all the time. Rest at the end. Rest at the end. What's the question that eats you alive the most that you haven't answered yet? <sighs> the question that eats me alive that I haven't answered yet. Or that you're still looking um, for the answer. I'm still looking for the answer. Uh, how to tell a good story. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think anybody has that answer. You know, like when I, when I sat down... Uh, to write Dear Basketball. I was like, okay, what do I want to say? And, um, you know, you, you have certain acts and how you can structure certain things, mm -hmm. right? The ebbs and flows of story. Uh, certain formulas that have been there since the beginning of time. But it's such an, an, an exact So challenging, yeah. Right? And so that one question is really interesting. Why do you want to tell a great story? I think stories is what moves the world. Whether it's an inspirational story, or it's an informational one, nothing in this world moves without story. Mm -hmm. You know, be it from the political world, sports world, nothing that we have moves without story. Um, and so I think that is the root of everything. And if we're going to try to make the world a better place, stories are the right place That's to it. start. I agree. But most people don't understand. Like my, like my last year, people would come up to me and say, "Okay, what are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to be a storyteller." Really. 
And they go, they're like, what are you <laughs> <Yeah>. talking about? <laughs> All right, man. So, uh, so what are you really going to do? Yeah. They're like, what's going to happen when you retire is you're going to go through like a week of depression. Yeah. Then the second week is going to be like denial and all that. Right. I'm like, dude, seriously, I'm good. So after a while, I just got sick of it. And I just, just said, I don't know. I don't know. I'll go play golf or something. <laughs> right. You just tell them a lie. I'm yeah. not going to do anything. I'll best real estate. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit around. Well, what does losing feel like to you? Uh, it's exciting. Why is it exciting? Um, because it means you have different um, ways to get better. There's certain things that you can figure out that you can take advantage of, right? Certain weaknesses that were exposed mm. um, that you need to shore up, right? So it was exciting. I mean, it, I mean, it sucks to lose. Right. But at the same time, there are answers there if you just look at them. Um, because you get the information from losing more than from winning, probably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the answers are there when you win, too. You, 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 you just have to look at them. Yeah. Right? So it's a constant process. It's exciting when you win. It's exciting when you lose because the process should be exactly the same, whether you win or you lose. Is you go back and you look and you find things that you could have done better. You find things that you've done well that worked. You figure out how did they work, why did they work, how can you make them work again. Yeah. And, uh, but the hardest thing is to face that stuff. Um, that's a really, really tough challenge. You mean face it, you mean look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, this is how I showed up or this is what happened. And, and I'll give you an example. So uh, Katie Lou Samuelson is one of the best college basketball players in the country. She plays at UConn. She's going to be a senior. Right now. Right now. Yeah. And uh, she's from Huntington Beach out here by us. And so she comes down and she works with some of my, my, my girls on the team and she helps coach. And, yeah. and uh, they just had a really tough season last year where they lost to Notre Dame in the final. That's right. Really tough. First loss in like First loss. years, right? Yeah. And so I asked her, I said, have you watched the Notre Dame game? She was like, no. I said, well, why not? I said, I don't want to watch that. I said, I know you don't, but you're going to play Notre Dame this year, yeah? Yeah. What's the chances you see him again in the final? I said, well, you probably see him again. I said, well, you can't show up and play them without knowing why you lost that one, right? So, you know, it, it, the mistakes that you've made in that game, you have to do the hard stuff and watch that game and study that game to not make those mistakes over and over again just because you weren't brave enough to face it. So she came down to the office. I brought her down to the office and we sat down and we watched that game together. Wow. Right? And you gotta, you gotta deal with face it. Face it. Gotta deal with it. Face it, learn from it. Wow, that must have been cringing for her to just be like, oh, replaying yeah. like we could have won well, all these things. It, that's exactly it, isn't if it? If I just it, did that one thing, that's exactly if right. I didn't get that foul, if that's I scored exactly that layup. Right. That's exactly right. You're looking at it and say, oh, there's the mismatch. Oh, there's the gap, uh, you know, and all those little things, and it sucks. But, but you don't want to have that feeling again, do you, right? So you got to really study it, face it. And uh, not to say you'll win the next time you face it, but at least you'll, you'll give yourself a better, yeah. a better chance. Yeah. yeah. And did you, what was your uh, routine and ritual like after every game? Would you watch almost every game over or certain games? All of them. Every game every you game. watch? Every game. The whole game? Back? The whole game. No so way. It, yeah. So it started with me when I was a, um, when Phil Jackson's, his first year here with the Lakers, one of assistant coaches, his name was Tex Winter, and I call him Yoda. I mean, he was like 82 when he got here. Wow. And uh, he was responsible for teaching me the triangle offense. How old were you then? I was 21. So three years, four years in the league? Yeah, or? so my, about my fourth year in the okay. league. Okay. And so uh, I, I go up to his room, and this is when there were, there were no iPads or anything like that, right? right. So when you're on the road, the yeah, you like have to it. call down to the front desk and they have to bring up the TV <laughs> right. with the whole, you know, the rolly thing and yeah. the VHS and the cassette tape, you pop it in. 
and I thought we were going to watch what we call touches. So watch all your touches when uh -huh. you have the ball, all the decisions you make, good ones and bad. No, we're watching the start of the game oh my to gosh. the end of the game. And not like, not like the TV feed. We're watching the in-arena feed, the layup line, the timeouts. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, rewinding, stopping, fast forward, rewinding, slow motion, every little thing, every game of that season with the 82-year-old Yoda. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> who is as brutally honest as you can get. What did that teach you that season? Oh, it taught me to look at detail. Mm. Right, look at thing, things at their smallest. Right, look at body language. You know, um, um, look at the energy between players, our team and the other team. Wow. Right, look at the tactics. You know, look at the overall strategy and to look at how tactically things are manifesting themselves. And because I watched so much film, then it gave me the ability to see game in real time as if I was watching film. Wow. Where I can see bop, 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 bop. Because a lot of times the game starts moving really fast. But if you train yourself to watch hours and hours of film, the game's not moving that fast anymore. You can really recognize who's doing what and why. And then you can position guys in the right places in real time. Mm. Seeing it before it happens. Yes. Yeah. We, you know, in football, we'd watch it once a week, game film, mm -hmm. but not, you know, after every game, it was only one game a week. You yeah. got like three, three a week sometimes. Yeah, yeah you got you to gotta go. And I, know, go and I know Tom Brady's obsessive over game film as well. Yep. I mean, watching his show uh, that came out, Tom vs. Time, was all about him just in there studying. Mm -hmm. Even months after the game, he's studying to prepare, right? It's just yep. like he's it's obsessive. Not and that's, that's one of the keys, you think? It's like if you're not watching film, whether it be as a speaker on stage or a performer and a musician, if you're not watching yourself back. You gotta learn, man. I mean, yeah. Beyonce's the same, same thing. Really? After a performance, she's immediately on her laptop re-watching the performance. No way. Yes, seeing how to do things better. What could we have done differently, right? I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's an obsessiveness that comes along with it. You want things to be as perfect as they can be, understanding that nothing is ever perfect. But the challenge is try to get them as perfect as they can be. Mm -hmm. And what can you do? It's in your control. So control what you can. Yeah. I can watch film all day long. It's going to help me get better. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Now, did you have your teammates also follow on this obsessiveness that you had as well? Or did you just encourage them? Or what was the... No, you can't push somebody to do that, right? Yeah. But what you can do is, is alter behavior and also change the vernacular of how they speak about the game. Mm. So on team buses, team planes, in a locker room, after practice, I would look at the film, I'd pull Powell, Lamar, D. Fish, pull them aside and say, let's look at this, right? We probably should have done this, that, and the other. So you'll show them the game from a little yeah, bit here and there. Yeah, and then you speak to them in, in executional terms. It's never, come on guys, we can do better. Come on guys, we can do better. That's rah-rah stuff, right? A leader must give very tactical you know, uh, things that we can do, adjustments. Okay, the defense is doing this, that, and the other. That means we should probably do this, 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 that, and the other. Yeah. By midway through the season, through that behavior, you start seeing them communicating the same way back to you, right? And it's wow. like, okay, Cole, they're doing this, that, and the other to you. Maybe we should do this, that, and the other. You're like, okay, yeah, oh, yeah. awesome, great, <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, yeah. What about um, season 16, 17, 18? Are you still watching every game film as obsessively as the first 10 years? Not, not now, no. Well, when I was playing. When you were playing. Yeah, yeah, so when I was playing, what I would do is, is um, study the film, but study our younger players mm. and see 
what areas do they need to develop in and how can I help them develop? I mean, that's, that was the big challenge is you move from, you know, um, being the single dominant player yeah. to understanding, okay, I have to help these other guys. How do I lift everyone else up? It's tough. What, I mean, you were so dominant in your whole career, one of the greatest of all time. Was there a weakness that you had? Or did you, because obviously you're always trying to master your weaknesses so they became strengths, but did yeah. you, at the end or towards the end, did you ever feel like, gosh, I still haven't like, mastered this one part of the game? The challenge for me was always um, compassion and empathy. Because <laughs> you're like, guys, let's go. Get results. Shut up. Don't complain, right? I want to hear your whining. I don't want right. to hear it. Don't no tell excuses. Me, don't tell me how rough the water is. Just bring the boat in. You know, I, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to hear it, you know? And it's, uh, That's funny. it's understanding, like, okay, these guys have lives right. <laughs> outside of here. They have other things happening. They have other things yeah. happening to them that may be affecting the way that they're practicing or the way that they're performing. And it was hard for me to understand that because nothing, nothing bothered me. You know, anything personal, anything that never phased me when I you played. You compartmentalized it. Very well. So I couldn't understand how my teammates couldn't do that either uh, until I, you know, so I had to really work on that aspect of it. That's hard. <laughs> yeah, it so is. So did you feel like you never really had the compassion you wish you would have had? Like until the last maybe couple of years? Yeah, so I think about 09, things started changing for okay. me. I started really uh, making a conscious effort to better understand. And that doesn't mean, I mean, you have compassion and empathy, so you go softer on them. It's more like you, you, put, you put yourself to the side and you put yourself in their shoes and understand what they're feeling. And then you have to make certain decisions of, okay, what buttons do I need to push for this yeah. player to get them to the mm -hmm. next level? So it's never... It's not sit around and all, it's all happy-go-lucky right. type of thing. Your leader, your job is to get the best out of them, um, even if you know, they may not like it at that time. Yeah, wow. What are you most proud of from your 20 seasons? Um, honestly, it, was, it sounds, uh, uh, may sound a little shallow, but I gotta say beating the Celtics <laughs> in game seven. <laughs> Um, hey. That's what I'm most proud of because it, it was it was the hardest. Um, you know, they were playing with Rajon Rondo, Paul Pierce, mm -hmm. Kevin Garnett, mm. All Stars, Ray Allen, and you know, it was myself, Powell, and the players that other teams didn't want. And you know, how do we figure out as a group what to do? And the reason why I loved that series so much is that we went down three games to two against Boston. And now you got two games coming home. I remember sitting in the locker room and they beat the crap out of us too that game. So we're sitting in the <laughs> locker room and it's really, really quiet. I'm sitting there looking around and we just lost the Celtics in 08. So this is like revenge, right? And they're kicking our butt again, right? So I sit around and I just started laughing. I started laughing and then I remember uh, Derek Fisher looked at me like, and Lamar looked at me and goes, what, what is funny? I said, dude, they beat the crap out of us. <laughs> they just beat the crap out. I said, I'm, I'm missing the part where that's funny. I said, man, listen, if we start this season and they say, you know, all you have to do is win two games at home and you're NBA champ, would you take that? Yeah. They're like, right. Yeah, that's, right. that's all we got to do. Yeah. Go Down home, three, two. win two, we're NBA champions. All we got to do is win two, ga two games in a row. That's it. We'll take care of the first game, and I promise you, they're not winning game seven on our home floor. It's wow. not happening. And so we all just laughed about it. And then we went out and we figured it out. But that game seven was, we're down 15 points in the fourth quarter. 
right? And that's when you have to collectively look at each other and say, you know, the spirit of your team must be good. Because at that moment is when teams fracture. If the energy amongst each other isn't there, that trust isn't there, you're done. Mm. And we were able to collectively dig deep together and say, all right, we're going to figure this thing out. Wow. And I wasn't playing well. I wasn't shooting the ball well at all. Um, and so my teammates picked you up and they delivered. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Gosh, man, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we've got only <laughs> probably like five to seven minutes left. Um, I saw on Instagram that you're up at like 4 a.m. lifting by yourself yeah. in the dark. <laughs> and again, you've had an, one of the most incredible careers, arguably of all time, uh, you know, made all the money in the world got a freaking Oscar now. You've got all these other things happening and yet you're still waking up or at least you're in the gym at 4 a.m. working yeah. out and you just turned 40, yeah. right? Which congratulations, Thank by you. the way. Thank I, ho you. I hope I look as good as you. <laughs> um, why still wake up that early and train at this level in your life right now? Well, I mean, there, there's several factors for that. Like when I first retired, let myself go a little bit. Really? You got a little, oh yeah, oh got yeah. A little chubby life? Oh, it was awesome. <laughs> Like, you enjoyed whatever. everything. Oh, man, I'm eating. What? In and out, well, bring, bring it to me. Let's go. <laughs> Steak? Oh, let, let's go. Right? Milkshakes? Let's I do it. Yeah, let's man. do it. And then the challenge was, okay, can I get back in shape? Ooh. And it's, it's really hard because it, there's no end goal. I'm there's no game. There's anything. no season. There's right? no... So how do you motivate yourself to do how it? Do you? How do you? And so for me, it was like, okay, I have to, I have to aim for something. Hmm. So I said, I want to aim for size. I want to aim for bulk. Right? So that's a tangible thing. Yeah. I, I'm going to go for that. Right? But then also, it's, you know, my children. Because, like, you know, your kids can't see how hard you work. You go to the office, I come in the studio, they don't really see the effort, right? So how can we teach our children what it means to work hard? Well, you do it through training, right? So when I get up in the morning, my daughter goes with me. 4 a.m.? 4 a.m. My 15-year-old goes with me. She wow. goes with me before school, and it becomes a daddy-daughter thing. That's cool. She just got a permit, right? So she drives in the morning. It becomes a cool thing, right? But... Through that process, she understands the value of hard work and things taking time. And the same thing with my 12-year-old, right? She practices every day, right? And so it's through those behaviors uh, um, is where I find the motivation to mm. do it. Mm. Yeah. And what brings you the most joy right now? Being with my family. Really? That is, man, that is the most fun. It's just, um, you know, it's uh, hanging out with them all summer, uh, being able to, to, like, do things that, I ordinarily couldn't do yeah because uh, of training because of sure. season and stuff like that so being around them and watching bianca grow up because a lot of things that i miss with natalia and gianna because mm. i was playing so being there every day with them is so much fun man so uh, it brings me the most joy that's amazing and what does what does love feel like for you <sighs> what does love feel like hmm happiness is such a Really think I would describe love as happiness. I think I'd describe it as a beautiful journey. Mm. Um, you know, it has its ups and downs, right? Whether it's in marriage or whether it's in the career, you know, things are never perfect. Yeah. But through love, you continue to persevere and you mm. move through them. You move through them. And then through that storm, beautiful sun emerges yeah right and inevitably another storm comes and guess what you ride that one out too yeah. so I think love is a certain determination and persistence to go through the good times and the bad times with the someone or something uh, that you truly love mm. 
Um, you've got a new podcast out right now called The Punies, yeah. which I started listening to. I've listened to the first two episodes. It's incredible. <laughs> They're like 13 to 15 minute um, episodic uh, storytelling, you know, cartoons, I guess, yes. for kids. And the thing I love about it the most is it's, it's funny, it's entertaining, uh, there's original music, there's all these different characters. You're teaching history like in a yeah. fun way, <laughs> which I like the last one where it's like, you know, we, we talk about history so we don't repeat it right. in our own lives. And then you teach lessons about overcoming failure for kids and insecurities and challenges we're facing. And I think it's beautiful. Can you talk about the punies and the podcast and what it's all about? Yeah, the, so the punies um, came to me uh, from, you know, we have our family tradition where we watch um, the Sandlot every Fourth of July. God, it's the greatest movie. It's the greatest. In the it's summer, Squints oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, it's the best thing. baby. Dude, come Give on. Give me some right? wars. So, like, that's our family ritual. Oh my god. Every gosh. Fourth of July, Sandlot, Sandlot, right? And so, after watching the Sandlot movie, I was like, we need a new sports movie like this, right? Yeah. So I started kind of concepting ideas and stuff, but nothing that truly loved. And then uh, over Thanksgiving, our other ritual is to watch Charlie Brown, uh-huh. right? Sure. And the pumpkin patch, sure. right? So. We watch that, and then I go, whoa, wait a minute. Let's just put those together. Put those together, right? And I already had written some stories, individual stories, for Puny Pete and uh, and BB. Two of the characters. Two of the characters in the Punies. And I said, well, let's combine those. Mm -hmm. And then from that, that's when the the Punies started coming to fruition, and I started thinking about the characters and, you know, why does this show need to exist and what are some of the deeper messages that can be there that yeah. consciously you may not observe, but, sure. but you can sense and feel. And that's when I started constructing the show. And are you part of the whole process? Are you helping write the script? Are you helping So we have a great uh, um, uh, young producer here who actually started here three years ago while he was still at SC uh-huh. and has since grown it's into the a position. Greatest film school, yeah, yeah. Greatest film school. And yeah. so... Um, he and I worked together hand in hand on outlining every single episode. So we outlined each episode, the story beats, and then we found a great writer named John Holler. He's a great writer. And so we gave him the outline and he just made it a thousand times better. Wow. Um, and then I just, I directed each episode and... You oversee it all? You, you, you look yeah, over yeah, the scripts? I, yeah, I directed it. So, yeah. um, you know, the other challenge was finding great actors. Voice acting Vo- is a different skill. Yes, it's a, it's a challenging... Artful. I mean, yeah. it, it, you really have to be able to communicate a lot just through your essence, voice. essence and energy with your yes. voice, yeah. And so the trick was finding actors that have not lost that childlike quality, right? They can still imagine themselves being children, being at the park and playing, right? And once we found them, they really brought the characters to life. Mm-hmm. And now here we are with the Punies, man. It's amazing. I want you guys to go download it right now. Subscribe. It's the Punies on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and anywhere yeah. podcasts are at. I'm telling you guys, there's a lot of parents who listen to this show. Download this, listen to it in your car, and do me a favor. Take a video of your kids in the car <laughs> and send it to me. Um, send it to or tag me on Instagram. Tag Kobe on Instagram. Yes, it's Kobe please. Bryan. That would be amazing. Because that's what's going to give you great feedback. Oh gosh, that would be amazing. Seeing how kids react. So put your phone again. Don't don't film and drive. Do it when <laughs> have someone else filming it, yeah. right? Um, but make sure or put it on a GoPro and just press record. Yes, it's about 15 minutes long. Take your kids to school. It is or take like them this, to the park too. Like on Saturday, like we made them on Saturdays. Like every Saturday, it's a new episode because Saturday ah. is normally the day 
us parents drive our kids to different sporting events. To the pool, to the yes. games, the park. Yes, that's why every episode has to be between 12 to you know, 15, 16 minutes, right? Because yeah. that's normally the drive. Yeah. Right. Sometimes it may be longer. And then in that case, you can play multiple episodes. That's something you can listen to on your way to an event. It's like mini Frozen and Moana episodes, right? Yes. It's like little yes. with original music yes. and all that stuff. It's really cool. Go download it. Again, take a video and tag Kobe uh, on Instagram. Are you yes. on Instagram a lot yourself? I am on Instagram, yeah. Tag yeah. him. Especially Lily's Lemonade. Listen to Lily's Lemonade. Yes. And I would love to see kids out there trying to, trying to do the Lily's Lemonade song. Love it. Hopefully we'll get a bunch of video clips for yeah. you. Uh, and your book is out in October. It's called Mamba Mindset. Do you want to yeah. talk briefly about that? Well, the mentality book is, is really about um, process and craft. I've broken the book up into two sections. And process is really about the process of preparing, mm -hmm. you know, through injury, recovery, uh, studying of the game. And then the craft is the actual performance and the tactics. And so a lot of things that I learned uh, through the game were through photos. You can look at a photo wow. and see like a player making a move and look at the angle of his feet, look how he's using his hands on defense. And I can really break down things to the smallest detail through that. And that's what you'll see in this book. I mean, it's really a basketball Bible. Yeah. Mamba but it's also your mindset Bible, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you'll see how I break things down, like how I'm looking at things to the smallest of detail. Yeah. And uh, that's the best way to understand how to have that kind of mentality is to ask questions and then find answers. And mm. then that lead to more questions and you find more answers. And that's, that's what it. the book is. I love it. Make sure you guys get the book. You can pre-order it right now. Download the punies. Um, follow you on social media. The final question is what's your definition of greatness? Um, I think the definition of greatness is to inspire the people next to you. I think that's what greatness is or should be. It's not something that's, that, that lives and dies with one person. Mm. It's how can you inspire a person to then in turn inspire another person that yeah. then inspires another person. And that's how you create something that I think lasts forever. Yeah. And uh, I think that's our challenge as people is to, um, is to figure out how our story can impact others and mm. motivate them in a way to create their own greatness. Well, I want to acknowledge you again, man, for the inspiration. You're just a symbol of truth and inspiration to so many people. Oh, thanks, man. And um, I just appreciate you as a human. So, Kobe, appreciate it, thanks, man. man. Appreciate it, brother.